morning, everybody. Yeah, good to see you all here. Good to be with you on Christmas Eve. If you're watching online, welcome. Um, so I'm Pastor Sarah. I'm a pastor of outreach here at Mosaic. And uh, it is kind of a funny, I was driving here this morning and it's raining and I'm like, only in the Midwest, you know, we can't quite pull off a, we're pulling off this sort of lazy Christmas Eve. Like, it's like, yeah, you want precipitation. This is what you get. Um, so we'll have to wait a little bit later for the snow. My kids just got, we got a new uh, sled last night at a Christmas thing. And so we're excited to, uh, to test that out. Um, so over this Advent season through the month of December, we've been uh, diving into the book of Isaiah and calling it very boldly the fifth gospel. Um, and we're taking this approach because we're, we want to listen back uh, to 700 years before Jesus' arrival. And through this lens of Isaiah, we're diving into the rich history and the long-awaiting environment into which Jesus is born. And this looks at God's intentions for Jesus' first appearing, but it also helps us understand how the people of Jesus' day didn't really recognize him when he arrived because of how God was speaking about him. Uh, I was at a community event recently, uh, probably, you know, a couple months ago, and at this event, there were people from all across the community. It was the educated and the people with their GEDs. It was the people who had um, a life of ease and a life of struggle. The people who, um, you know, could easily afford a vacation in the south of France or somebody who uh, struggled to get a hamburger at McDonald's. Everybody was there. It was really lovely. And um, I was one of the volunteers. And as I'm standing there near the front door, um, being one of the hosts, an older woman walks up to me. She's a few inches shorter than me, and she is swimming in this worn fur coat. And she is beaming up at me with this face, like she has no problems in the world. And I'm like thinking, surely that can't be true. Uh, she wants to tell me a story. And so I have so many amazing volunteers, and I'm like, okay, yes, I can sit here, and I'm so glad I can give you my focused attention. Um, she's an immigrant, and so her English isn't fully clear, so I'm sort of leaning in and trying to understand. And a couple minutes later, this other volunteer walks up and stands right next to us. And she crosses her arms, and she leans back, and she looks at this woman I'm speaking to with eyes full of respect. And she says, do you know who this is? This is, this woman is an accomplished musician. Um, there was a, there was a instrument there in, at the space and she was like, she could go over here and just play this and it would just, it would shock you. You would be in awe. And she says, not only that, her, she and her late husband had significant achievements and accomplishments that they contributed to their field while they were teaching at university. And the woman in the fur coat is still sitting there. She's nodding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's my CV. That's my resume. She wants, she kind of waves it off. She wants to tell me the story. The story about this very ordinary thing that has happened. But I'm sitting there needing to catch up because I think I know who she is, right? I'm able to, in this, here in this big room with hundreds of people, I see her come up to me. I've seen her other places before. And I think I know who she is, and I did not know. I was in that moment needing to hit refresh because here she is sitting at the dinner table with all these other people who undoubtedly have stories of, of trials 
and overcoming. But I thought maybe I knew who she was, that she's sitting here blending in and looking like everyone else. And so as I'm sitting there finishing this conversation with this woman and this other volunteer, I am overwhelmed by the sense of humility that I missed it, that I thought I knew who this was. And also I had a sense of honor that I had been in the presence of greatness and I had not known it. And so maybe you can relate Maybe you have met or known someone that you thought you knew. This happens to me all the time. In fact, I was having coffee with a friend this week. And we're sitting at the bookstore. And she waves down the owner. And she says, um, do, you have, do you hold like local books here? Because I have a book of poetry that I publish And we meet every other week, and we talk about all the categories of life, or so I thought. And I was like, you're a published author? When were you going to tell me this? And of course, you know, being somebody who helps people start businesses, I was like, well, here's, we're going to create a whole structure. We're going to help you with your book reading. We're going to market this. And I was like, well, wait, what are your goals? Um, I had a bunch of goals, but I was surprised. I got surprised because once again, I thought I knew and um, I had to refresh. I had to even upgrade because I also write and it was like, oh, we have this thing in common. This is so cool. And look at this beautiful poem that you wrote. You have this skill. You have this beautiful skill that I had no idea about. People are always around us and we almost don't see them. And part of the reason that we can't see God for who he is is because just like me with the woman in the fur coat or with my friend at the bookstore, we get so familiar. We start to think we know. Everything becomes common, ordinary, and expected, even in our spiritual lives. And so when we get to Advent, we program in through the traditional church year a moment of pause. We are poised perhaps more than ever in this climactic moment of the year in this position of waiting, active waiting. We're talking about hope. We're talking about um, the Advent means to come, right? If you took Latin class like I did in in high school, yay, Latin, love it, so nerdy. Um, But it means to come. And so there's this like constant sense of waiting that we acknowledge during Advent. And yet somehow we still miss Jesus. We miss the story and the opportunity to see him and be transformed by him. And as we discover, we're not the only ones who miss him. In fact, this is quite common. In the long arcing story of Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus, it's also a story of missing someone incredible, someone people thought they knew. So the central reading today is Isaiah 61. And this is a prophecy about the Messiah. We're just going to focus on the first three verses. The entire chapter is gold. It will enrich your soul. But we're just going to focus on these first three verses. Uh, the, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. 
So Isaiah begins this prophecy as some prophecies begin. And you're like, who are we talking about here? He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. But who's me? Is this Isaiah? Is he just like, hey, just FYI, I'm the prophet du jour. Spirit of the Lord is on me. You're like, cool. We expected that. The Hebrew people knew that this was a messianic prophecy. But they didn't know a whole lot else. There wasn't a timeline. There wasn't like, this is when you can expect him. And so Isaiah says these words, and then the years and the centuries begin to add up. One century, two centuries, 700 years go by. And when you're waiting that long, eventually you just get familiar with the waiting also. In the same way that you get familiar with your family and your friends and your job and your life and your neighborhood and everything starts to just kind of blend in together, the waiting becomes familiar. And so for the Hebrew people, there was this big emotional salad of hopelessness, anticipation, and a deep, thorough sense of conviction that when the Messiah comes, we will definitely know what he looks like. Because they're in synagogue every week, and they're listening. Here is, here's the messianic prophecy. This is, what, this is what the Messiah will be like. This is what he will be like. This is what we can expect. He's going to save us from our enemies. He's, and they're like, we know who our enemies are. It's all these people who, who keep ruling over us, who, who take over. So we know exactly what this Messiah will be like. We, when he gets here, will know we will not miss him. And so in that emotional place of hopelessness and conviction, anticipation, and this this picture they have in their minds of who they're expecting, along comes Jesus. So at this point in the reading, we are fast-forwarding 700 years to Luke 4. Jesus is 30 years old. He was baptized about like a month and a half ago at this point uh, by John the Baptist, and then he immediately went into the wilderness for a season of testing and temptation and just time away with God. <clears throat> and the two experiences back-to-back of being, um, going, getting baptized and God is saying, this is my son with whom I well pleased, right? It's like this really powerful, beautiful moment of acknowledgement by heaven that this is the son of God. And, you know, John the Baptist is like, this is who I've been waiting for. And it's this really climactic moment. And then he goes out into the wilderness and like, doesn't eat. You're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, this is the opportune moment. But he comes out of the wilderness, and he's finally ready to launch his big international ministry, right? He's been recognized by God, official calling. Let's do this, right? Let's change the world. But where does he go? Home. He goes home. He goes to Nazareth. He goes back to his family, his classmates, his neighbors, his teachers, the people who know him. And at this point, he is a regular teacher in the synagogues. But still, this is Mary and Joseph's kid, right? We know you. So we're going to pick up here in in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, leaving the wilderness. And news about him spread throughout the whole, through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then they said, isn't this Joseph's son? They asked with their heads tilted just like this. <laughs> Don't we know him? Jesus references back to a 700-year-old prophecy about the Messiah. And in his very Jesus, like chill, understated way, he's like, these words, this is about me. But like not in an ego way, right? He's just like, hey, just FYI, this thing that you've been waiting for. This is, has been fulfilled in your midst. And you can imagine that the synagogue like went silent. Like, okay, say more about that. <clears throat> like they're thinking, no way, right? How could he claim this? Because Jesus, we literally know you. We taught you, we raised you, we played with you. We live near you. You're nothing special. You are the epitome of ordinary Jesus. But wasn't that the point? That he put on flesh, that he dwelt among us, that he was so close that we could miss him. And because he was so close, we did miss him. Jesus' family and friends were stumped. They were offended. They were confused. This was not what they were expecting. And they needed in that moment to hit refresh on who they thought he was. Just like I had to do with my friend in the fur coat or my friend in the bookstore. So many times we have to do this. Would Jesus' family and friends, the citizens of Nazareth, do it? In a Twitter thread from October 2020, author and, Beth, author and teacher Beth Moore helps us understand in a little more depth the magnitude of what Jesus has done. And I love, I, I've never quoted a Twitter thread in a sermon before, but it's so fun uh, because Beth Moore, if you know her, has this very playful Southern way but she is so brilliant, right? She knows her stuff. And so let's dive into a little bit of the context of what was actually happening in that moment and what was expected of Jesus. She says, reading Isaiah 61 today, I'll never be able to read it without turning to Luke 4. Jesus returns in the wilderness of temptation and the power of the spirit. That'll preach right there, she says, and heads to Nazareth where he grew up. Enters the synagogue, as usual on the Sabbath, stood up to read. Now, several practices would have taken place in the order of synagogue service by this time. The congregation would have recited the Shema, then a set of prayers. Someone then would have read from the Torah, which is the law in Hebrew, translated to Aramaic. Then would have come a reading from the prophets, followed by an exposition, ordinarily connecting that day's section from the law and prophets. And this is where Jesus takes center stage. He's standing as was the practice for the reading. The scroll of Isaiah is handed to him. He unrolls it until he gets to the exact location he's looking for. Then his voice reverberates. Words straight out of Isaiah 61 with a taste of Isaiah 58. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then hands the scroll back to the attendant and sits down. This is where the exposition of the readings occurred in the service. 
Like, tell us more about what you just read. Every gaze is on him, and there, right before their very eyes, God sat. The word made flesh, seated right in front of them, glory incarnate. And he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, you want exposition? I'll give you exposition. I raised among you am what I just read to you. This day in Nazareth, let it be known. Messiah, prophesied by Isaiah, has been exposed to you. They end up trying to throw him over a cliff. But it was like, not today, Satan. That's very Beth Moore. Anyway, I just love the whole scene. I love Jesus. He's seated even right this moment, seated at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. Messiah among us, for us, with us. Jesus is saying, hey, it's me. I've been here all along. Can you tell? Do you notice? Do you see me? This is Jesus, this guy they knew, right? He's growing up with them. He's been around since their childhood, and they know him so well. And when he gets to the law and the prophet, when it's time for exposition, he doesn't even bother. He just says, this has been fulfilled. It's me. I'm the, I'm the explanation. I am the Messiah, and I have been here all along. And friends, this is the core of the Christmas message, that God is with us, and not that he just got here. He did not just show up. He has been here all along, and we missed him. We didn't recognize him because he did not come how we thought he would. We keep waiting for someone who is playing the game, who's following the rules, who looks the part. But that's not how Jesus shows up. He doesn't play the game. He doesn't look the part. He is more neighbor than monarch. And it's his nearness that causes us to miss him. He's so close. He's so real. He's so familiar. He's so ordinary that we completely walk right past him. That when we look out into our lives, the circumstances of our lives, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, the parking lot at Walmart, we don't see him. He's so ordinary. And it's the intimacy and beauty of a God that is so close that we could miss him. That gives me great pause. (sighs) Wow. Because we all think If it was me, I would have known. Right? I would have seen him. I would have gotten it. Would you? Right? Wouldn't we miss him because of his ordinariness and his nearness? And with that sense of pause, I wonder, like, what should I do? How do I keep myself from missing God? How do I keep myself from missing The people in my life that are right in front of me that are, all of them, extraordinary. And I'm just looking at them like I know, like I've already sized them up. And I'm going to miss it. Maybe you're feeling this way too. Maybe a story is coming to mind about someone that you've overlooked or a scenario where you thought you knew and you got checked. You had to walk away with some humility. Maybe that's just been in how God's shown up in your life, I hope. And if you're feeling that way, I think the response that we need to have is that we need to open our eyes. 
And we need to, you know when you go to um, like a new city, you see everything, right? Uh, maybe you're traveling for work or fun, but you see the things that everyone who lives there stopped seeing a long time ago, right? And if you, if you ever like just, you know, even travel like 10 or 15 minutes outside of Manhattan, like maybe you live in Manhattan and you go to Wamigo or you're in Wamigo and you like drive to Junction City or you drive to Riley, it feels new and fresh and you just see things a little bit differently. And so what if we had that same mentality that maybe I don't know everything, maybe there's something I'm missing right where we are. What if we stop assuming that we know who God is and how he's going to show up on any given day? Some of us have reduced our lives, our spiritual lives, to visiting God on Sunday morning when we're able to make it to church or maybe we are praying and we're, like, I pray in the car, or I have my, you know, read my Bible or my devotional whenever I, you know, get to it. Maybe it's even daily, right? Maybe you have some really amazing disciplines, but it's like we visit God, right? And then we leave, we walk away, and we forget that he is with us and that he is out in the world looking back at us through the faces of the people that we meet. And so I would like to suggest that we need to take a humble and a curious approach to God and the people around us. Maybe we do not already know them. Maybe we could miss them because of their nearness and their ordinariness. And so I want to start with a couple of questions because I think the way that we open our eyes is by just asking a question back to ourselves and, and then having to wrestle with the answer that begins to unfold before us. And so these questions I want to leave us with as reflections and next steps for us to put into practice today. How are you missing God in the ordinariness of life? And you might think, I don't know. I probably am, right? But what if it really matters? Because just in the same way that Jesus was sitting in front of his friends and neighbors and he was the Messiah fulfilling a prophecy and they totally missed it for his, for his closeness. Um, it's so important that we see where God is, that we don't miss him. And so you could even pray, Jesus, help me see you today. Wherever you are, however you show up, when I leave the house, when I leave this church service, help me see you. Or you could say, Jesus, where are you today? Because maybe you assume that you don't know. You don't know. What if you don't know? Jesus, where are you today? And then the second reflection question, who around you are you missing because you think you know them? Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's your spouse or partner. Maybe it's your coworker, your neighbor. You already th- you've already packaged up who they are, just like I did with my friend who I've been meeting with for months. We talk about everything. And here I am, missing something that's really important, something we have in common, and I was like surprised, right? Let's be less surprised. <laughs> of course people are amazing. Of course people are incredible. Let's take that curious and humble approach. So, reflection questions again. How are you missing God in the ordinariness of life? And who around you are you missing? Because you think you know them. So I want to invite our worship team up. 
And we're going to have our candle lighters um, coming down the middle aisle. So we are going to have it be uh, dark in here. Yes. So if you would um, go ahead and stand up and get your candles ready. This is the part we've all been waiting for. So pro tip, if you pinch the top of the wick like this a little bit, it's going to make it easier to light. Okay? Candle lighters are going to come down the middle aisle. And so when they do that, the people in the middle, you're going to turn around and pass your light on. And we're going to sing some carols together as we end. I just want to pray for us. Lord, thank you for visiting us. Thank you for staying with us. Thank you for being so near. You are so near. You're so close. You're so a part of everything that we do that we can miss you. That is so beautiful. That's so profound, Lord. Let that strike our hearts in a beautiful way and help us to take that humble, open-hearted, and childlike approach to see you and those around you with new and fresh eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mosaic Church Podcast. For more teachings, resources, and other news, please visit mosaicmhk.com.